Hey everyone, it's Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally, and we wanted to tell you about an amazing event we're hosting on Saturday, April 17th. The event is called Fertility Rally Live, an all-day virtual celebration of the infertility community for anyone and everyone building their modern families and seeking empowerment, education, support, and community. Our speakers are some of the biggest names and brightest minds in the infertility community and beyond. Our morning keynotes are Mina Starsiak-Hawk and Steve Hawk from HGTV's Good Bones. And our afternoon keynote is Jessica Zucker, PhD and author of the acclaimed memoir, I Had a Miscarriage. In addition to those two amazing keynotes, we're hosting a couples panel, a female physicians panel, and 16 breakout sessions covering everything we could squeeze into one day, including surrogacy, IVF, pregnancy after infertility, male factor infertility, donor conception, embryo adoption, recurrent pregnancy loss, and so much more. There will also be tons of giveaways all day long from fertility-friendly and wellness brands. And of course, a happy hour with a very special guest, a VIP after party, and a virtual swag bag worth hundreds of dollars. If you or someone you know is navigating infertility, you will love our event. We are here to empower and educate you and have some fun along the way, of course. Tickets are on sale now at fertilityrally.com. Head over to our IG at Fertility Rally for even more info on speakers and tickets. We can't wait to rally with you. Welcome back to Tit Talks. This is Ticha, one of the Tiffany's, here to continue with our Legacy Stories series. This idea started out as a tribute to our heritage through storytelling, and if you haven't tuned in yet, check out Tila's story about our popo that launched on Lunar New Year. It is a beautiful tearjerker, so make sure you have some tissues with you. Today, I'm going to talk about my dad, the infamous Luis Alberto Chavez Tay, whose history is so convoluted this story took me almost three weeks of interviewing to get the facts straight. But wow, I think I finally have most of it. And what really made me wanna get into the weeds with him was how much resilience and good humor he has shown while I was growing up, despite the challenges that must have come his way. I wanted to know exactly how hard and rewarding it was growing up as a mixed race immigrant who grew up in two different countries and relatively poor. He was truly the first entrepreneur I've ever known, and the fact that he grew up with no role models doing the same thing made me want to dig into the elements that shaped him to be the way he is. So let me take you all the way back to 1965 wow. and get started. Four BFFs who grew from friends to fierce boss moms. Join us as we shoot from the tit as Asian American Pacific Islander women. Discovering modern hacks for both surviving and thriving in this ever-changing mama world. Not quite TED Talks, but Tit Talks with your favorite girlfriends. Oh my gosh, thank oh. you. There, there are few things I love more in life than like a good pivot table and a PowerPoint. So I had to put this together for everyone just to like take it through. <laughs> this is so cute. 
For those of you tuning in through a uh, podcast streaming service, we also have a YouTube channel. So you can jump over there if you want to see these six pictures that I put together. <laughs> so cute. Oh, okay. So the story begins. It all started with a lottery. That year, 1965, my grandpa was featured in the Trujillo Times as one of the six winners that year from the National Lottery. The lottery was run out of horses that ran through the countryside and it was a really big deal. For that time, it was a lot of money, although nobody quite remembers how much. Using his winnings, my grandpa sent my dad, the eldest from my paternal grandma, whom I call Abuelita, and Carlos, eldest from his second wife to his first wife in Hong Kong. So guys, interject at any time, because I know this is like, the, just following the family tree is a little complicated. Where yeah, can was you say he, that again? Where was he that he got sent to Hong Kong? Peru? So, yes. So okay. my father was born and raised in Peru. My grandpa, my grandpa had two wives at the same time. He had, so we'll call his first wife. His first wife was in Hong Kong. We'll call her Mama Yip. His okay. second wife was in Peru passed away but had some kids as well his third wife was my abuelita which is my grandma and so my dad was the oldest son from my grandma so my grandpa always had the idea of sending a few of his kids to china to get a chinese education because he was actually originally from there however mama yip always wanted sons so it was an ideal arrangement so my dad is seven years old and his half-brother carlos Who's in this picture, but I don't even know where it is. Um, already a teenager, we're slated to leave together to Hong Kong to live for an indeterminate amount of time. So as you can what? imagine, like seven years old being sent to China from Peru, like didn't know the language, nothing. What? Yes. Wow. So as you can imagine, my abuelita was heartbroken. My dad was her firstborn son and she was just devastated at this plan. She couldn't even bear to go with my dad to the airport and sob for weeks. And ultimately, he had to make the trip to Lima, which is the capital of Peru, um, with his aunt Adema because his mom just couldn't do it. Um, but she thought that getting a Chinese education was an opportunity she couldn't take away from her son, so she went along with it. The plan was that he would come back around 18, but that didn't quite happen. So regardless, let's move forward to my dad landing in Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. so, <laughs> So after so are his half siblings that he's with then. Yes. Wow. What an yeah. interesting situation. I know. I know. So it, it, first of all, it took him like two weeks to get there because there were no direct flights. And it's like, you stop in a city, you stay there. So he just remembered it being like a two to three week flight, just long, long journey. So um, he got there. Uh, he had no knowledge of the language. Uh, however, he was able to learn uh, Cantonese and speak fluently within six months. And I think because wow. nobody understood him, he was just kind of thrown into an environment where he had to like learn to get his basic needs met. So uh, he just, he was really lucky. He was so young and pliable. So his, so his half-brother Carlos, um, I think he was like 15 at the time. So it was just way harder for him to acclimate. So after three years, he was like, screw this. I can't do, I, like, I'm not just, you can't throw me into a new country and just expect me to like thrive and flourish here. So then he actually begged to go back. But my dad stayed for about nine years with his half-sister, whom I called Kuma, wonderful, mm. wonderful woman, and his new stepmom, uh, Mama Yip. And he, he said he was spoiled, uh, never had to cook, never had to wash dishes, and was generally treated like, you know, the prized son. Um, and, but they weren't rich, but they weren't left wanting. Um, 
his dad used to send about $500 a month to their house, which was a lot of money at that time. But then business started declining in Peru. And so that monthly stipend went down to like 200 and then 100 and then whatever he could scrap together to send the family. And it was a $10 per minute call to Peru. So calls back to his mom and his family were very, very rare. So he just wrote letters, but like my dad is not the most expressive person. Like he's, he's very like energetic and he's like very enthusiastic, but like he, he has a hard time, I think talking about feelings and emotions. And so like the letters to his mom were just the same all the time. I'm here, I'm meeting this, I'm doing this. And then so he, his mom was like, honey, you can stop sending the letters because it's the same stuff over and over again. Just don't waste your time. <laughs> Um, and he was a good student, mostly because he was scared of his teachers. He said they hit and slapped really yes. hard. Um, and so he memorized all of his Chinese characters and read newspapers every day. Um, and I think it was when he was 16, his life reached a turning point. So even though he acclimated really well to Hong Kong and wanted to stay and, and uh, actually start and finish high school, he was forced to return to Peru to help with the family market. And at 16, it's a really tough time to leave. He didn't know if he'd ever see his friends again because who's gonna be able to afford that like three week trip back to Hong Kong from Peru. Um, and he really didn't wanna leave it all because he was really happy with the life that they had even though they were poor and a lot of times they were just eating out of like sardine cans, like he was happy. Teacher, did he also lose all of his um, native language yes. in that time? So he had to go back to Peru and not know how to speak? Exactly, exactly. And wow. I'll talk about how that went because his mom, like as soon as he got back to Trujillo, he started crying again because she was so upset that he had lost everything for the second time in his life, couldn't yeah. communicate with the people that he loved the most. Um, and what was really random is he, in the beginning of sixth grade, he also broke his leg. And because they were poor, his mom couldn't afford, his stepmom couldn't afford to take him to a doctor. So they went to a Eastern medicine guy and he just drank a bunch of herbs and then his leg just kept getting worse and worse. And like he skipped out on school for like close to two years. So he was just like reading newspapers, hanging out in Hong Kong. So like, of course he was living the life. He didn't have to go to school, wow. which, which wasn't great, which wasn't great, but you know, at least um, he read a lot of newspapers and stayed up with current events and kind of like stayed up with his, his uh, Chinese there. Um, and then his dad called and said he had to return home. His brother-in-law, which was Guma's husband, was the one who picked him up from the airport. Um, and that's a, a different story right there because that, that was an arranged marriage. So Guma is kind of like a aunt, I think it's Chinese, it's like Chinese for aunt on your mom's side. Mom side. So she ended up getting married to one of my grandpa's oh, friends. Side. Sorry, is it dad's side? I think it's dad's side. It's dad's yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she ended up in an arranged marriage with one of my grandpa's friends. So it kind of worked out that he used to live with my guma in Hong Kong, and now he's living back with her in Peru, at least <laughs> at least for a few days. Yeah. So um, my grandma at the time was living in Trujillo. So she never left, and my dad my dad actually stayed with his brother in law for a little while because he was afraid to actually face his parents again. Um, he hadn't seen them in so many years, like he couldn't speak Spanish anymore. He just felt like, you know, a little bit anxious to go back, but he ended up going back. Um, 
And then, like I said, my grandma started crying when he finally returned because he couldn't understand her. But at least my grandpa was able to speak Chinese so he could speak to him then. Um, and the relationship with his brothers were also really strained. He was the only one working while they were all going to school. They all got an allowance except him. And while the running joke was that my grandpa would give everyone an allowance um, and then like slip my dad like more money under the table, like that just wasn't true. <laughs> Um, so he was forced to come home from Hong Kong. He was forced to work for the family business, was not collecting allowance, and didn't get a salary. So as you can imagine, my dad just felt really, really bitter. And he felt like his life was just out of control. Everyone was getting more than him. And he just felt like he, he wasn't in a, in, in a position to, to do anything with his life, which got him um, just really upset. And at the end of the day, I think he just felt like he was tired of being poor. So at 19, he decided to leave without telling anyone. And that was the moment he finally decided to take charge of his life and make something of it. So he forged his parents' signature to be able to leave the country. Um, and the only person he told was his brother-in-law, um, Jorge, which was uh, my guma's husband. And so he, oh, oh, and on this picture here, so the circle, the circle is my dad. And then the other circle is my grandma and my grandpa right there. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, he decided that he was going to come to America. And then two days before he was slated to leave, told my grandparents. So under the, and then Tila brought this up in her legacy, in her legacy story, under the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965 that brought Tila's grandma here, there's also a lot of interest amongst his Peruvian friends. And so he actually banded together with like four or five of his friends and they all came together to the US at the same time. So with $150 in his pocket, he found a place to live pretty immediately with six guys in Chinatown, spending $7 a person for rent at that time. Wow. I know. So he found a job right away with a market. It's called GW Market. And shortly after, he started his own market. Um, it was called HK Market. Oh, I miss this one. It's my dad as a kid. But then he started... <laughs> He started his own market called HK Market with six other partners. And there was some mismanagement between the partners um, and they were going deeper into debt. So it wasn't all easy. But after four years, he was able to save up $20,000, which was a ton of money uh, for four years and a ton of money at that time. And he was thinking of returning back to Peru. Uh, he had a conversation with his brother-in-law who told him conditions weren't great in Peru, like your future looks so bright in US. Like, why don't you just stay there? At that point, homes were like $10,000. Uh, so he was like, you know what? You are right. Like as much as I wanna come back to Peru to like the place where I feel like I really belong, like I think the life is just too good in the United States. Like I should, I should really stay. So he ended up meeting my mom in 1973 and she even worked as a cashier for a little while. So that's her. Um, Look at this cool couple. They're so stylish. I'm they loving her whole outfit. Hair. I know. I know. Look at that. Oh my God. Hello. She's a cool oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's not okay. changed, by the way. She's so fashionable. <laughs> I have to tell her that. So she was a cashier in that market. And even my mom's dad, Michael Gong, would hang around the market since he was a chef and knew one of the partners who came from that same Chinese village. And so my mom had three younger sisters. So he was around while they all grew up and they all kind of became a, a family too. So at this point, my dad really decided like, US is pretty, like the United States is pretty great. Like we're gonna stay here, we're gonna start a family. And there was no looking back, he had truly found his home. 
So my dad was always a hard worker. And if there's anything I got from these interviews, it's that a smart and humble work ethic always trumps luck. He's a, let's say a mini real estate mogul in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he talks about what gets him or what got him here, it's always the same few stories that he brings up. When his coworkers were getting coffee on his breaks, he'd be washing the delivery trucks voluntarily because they were dirty and they made his boss look bad. Or when he was given the opportunity to either spend or invest, he would always invest. When he made money off of his properties, he would just roll the income into more rental properties for greater profit. And for someone that never even graduated from high school, it's pretty commendable uh, that he has gotten to where he is. Um, and been able to provide for his family. And I know even though he wishes he had like 10 kids, like he's very happy just, you know, spoiling me. So I'm very grateful that he's really instilled that work ethic in me as well. Dude, Dave thinks like he has such an affinity for your dad. He's like, T-Chot's dad's a badass, man. Like, (laughs) he is. I mean, (laughs) you forgot to bring up the video store as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I kind of stopped. Oh, my gosh. So I stopped it at this point because I didn't want to make this truly a timeline because I I feel like this was the most challenging probably 10 years of his life that really like helped him develop his character and helped him have a sense of identity because I think he was tossed around quite a bit when he was younger. So it took a while for him to find his, his voice and his, his niche. And I think even his younger brothers like probably picked on him because like he was the outsider. He was like the Chino from out of town. And so it, it, it took him a while to find this peace and this drive and know where to apply were, were to apply all of this like energy that he had. He really exemplifies the American dream, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's really inspiring. And I would be interested to know, you know, how your dad feels about how it is now, opportunities now, you know. Yeah, yeah. He really made so much out of the the small opportunity that he got to come here with $150, you know, yeah, in his pocket. Absolutely. And at age 19, mm-hmm. I was useless at 19. <laughs> and like, I couldn't even imagine, like, he opened a market. Yeah. fully and made a bunch of money. Oh, my God. I couldn't even do that now. We were drinking Popov when we were 19. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or fuzzy navel, like ciders or whatever wine yeah yeah i was gonna say also like that is a prime example also of generational trauma um Mm -hmm. just within like the asian diaspora and like it's it's really interesting because like have you guys actually talked about this prior to this being floated as an episode idea no no yeah and i think that that's also very common right Mm -hmm. like they go through all these struggles and we, as our, as their children, don't really know because they don't want to relive it either, you know? Oh my gosh, you are exactly right. So the last interview I had was actually yesterday. And I don't know whether it's because he had a couple glasses of wine, but he started getting really emotional when he talked about his younger brothers getting an allowance oh. and he did it. And he was just like, but you know what? I tried not to care because it's like, I, I came back for the family business and, you know, I'm doing everything for my family, but you can like hear the anxiety in his voice. Like oh. it definitely was not easy for him either. And I think that's why it took so many interviews. Yeah. It was, it was tough for him to find the words for how he felt and actually remembering how he felt was probably difficult as well. 
I'm mean, so glad we're doing this. Yeah, me too. I know. I have to say though, if you're looking for like sympathy for work, like he's the worst person to go to because he's going to be like, are you working seven days a week? Do you have three jobs? Are you washing trucks on the side? I'm like, no, but every Sunday at noon. I kind of feel like he's like a rich dad, poor dad situation. Like, you know, there's a mentality behind being an entrepreneur for sure. And, And he'd have that. Yeah. Yeah. And can you remind me, and I know I've asked you this, but like, so ethically, what, what was his, can you just remind me what's his makeup and then why were there ties to? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I finally found out. So all this time I thought my grandpa was mixed. Okay. He's not. My grandpa is full Chinese. So my dad thinks. And so my grandma is full Peruvian, Incan Peruvian. And so he's 50-50, which means I'm 25. Wow. Yes. So we finally got to the bottom of that. (laughs) Have you ever done a 23 and me? No, I want to though now. Oh, we should all be so interesting. Yeah. 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 I have one, so I know. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. You're Italiano. Who knew? (laughs) I have a missing grandparent. So it's important to me to find out. Like, I hope, you know, maybe someday he'll like, come up in my um dna matches yeah. and he'll be like really rich and be like i have no grandchildren i have nobody gonna give my money to and i'll be like oh my god what i've always wanted a grandfather in my life <laughs> leave it to me <laughs> i wish that for you Issa. i seriously had that like dream when i was like young young because i had no grandfathers yeah. so yeah well, this was so much fun. Isa, thank you for actually bringing up this topic in the first place. And I, I do think that we're going to find some, dig up some amazing things from our family that we're going to be, you know, cherishing yes. for years. Um, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed the second installment of this legacy series. And as I mentioned earlier, Tila paid a special tribute to her grandma, her papa, on Lunar New Year. Isa is also going to be honoring her family's matrilineal heritage, one of the few cultures in the world so advanced that the inheritance flow through the females of the family. So we're super excited about that. And we'll just have to wait to see what we'll learn about the Chukyats and the word on the street that it's gonna feature some serious Asian tiger momness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to talks in closing, we aim to reflect and empower women on subjects that matter most to us. Be a part of our family, Family, excuse me, and get a sense of how we and other women conquer this world by following us on Instagram at TikToks and getting on our email subscriber list. Review us on iTunes or email us suggestions at TikToks at gmail.com. Also, we are on Clubhouse and TikTok. What? Hey. I know. I know. Find us on there and because uh, I don't know how to find us, but with, find us on there and join our community <laughs> of fun. Again, thank you so much for joining us and making what we do so great. See you soon. Bye. Bye.